Welcome back to the Maya Games, and welcome back specifically to this three-part series, The Cosmic Context of 2024. This episode is part two of a series on the astrology of 2024. In part one, I talked about the lower tones, the most background frequencies, Pluto's shift from Capricorn to Aquarius, Neptune in Pisces, Chiron in Aries, and Uranus in Taurus. I definitely recommend going back and starting there if you haven't listened to that already, because everything I say in this episode and in the next episode, parts two and three, is going to call back to the way that I personally tune into and translate those more background frequencies, because those are sort of the foundational themes that everything else is bouncing off of within 2024. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the midtones, which I consider to be, at least in 2024, Saturn in Pisces, Jupiter's shift from Taurus to Gemini, and the nodes and eclipses in the Aries and Libra polarity. Before I get into it, just want to say thank you for tuning into the Maya games and for tuning into this series specifically. I always appreciate hearing from people who have listened, so please consider leaving a review, leaving a comment if you're listening on Spotify in the question box that's attached to this episode, or tagging me on social media to let me know that you listened and what you thought. You can tag at the Maya Games or my personal account on Instagram at Kelsey Rose Tort. If you would like to show your support and support future production of the Maya Games episodes and also receive access to various perks. You can become a patron for $8 a month at patreon.com slash the Maya Games. The current perk, which is relevant to this whole series of 2024 Cosmic Context episodes, is that I'm using a pretty substantial visual aid as I'm recording the episode. And so I'm also recording a video version and attaching the slides. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of like memes and just a lot of dense data and quotes and things throughout all three of these episodes. So if you're a visual person, if you want to be able to refer back to the slides, glance at the slides as you listen to the audio or just fully watch the video version, which includes the slides, that is, that's the current primary perk on the Patreon. So head over that way for the visuals. And one more thing before I get into the main topic for today, I want to officially announce that enrollment is now open for Astro Church and Sunday School, which begins mid-January 2024. I'll say more about Astro Church and Sunday School at the end of this episode, but if you already know a little bit or know you're ready to learn more or sign up, you can do so at kelseyrosetort.com slash astrochurch. For Astro Church, basically, the basics are I'll be congregating with fellow students of the stars on Sunday mornings Pacific time for the first half of 2024 to break down and digest these big 2024 themes into our weekly lived experience. There's an option just to join for the short church sermons. That's what I'm calling Astro Church or to join as a Sunday school student, which involves coming to the sermons, but then staying to be a part of the small cohort that will study astrology with me next. So in that Sunday school portion, we'll be fusing the astro weather lessons that come up in the Sunday sermons with our 
process of learning to read your own natal chart and transits and build your own astro fluency through moving through the curriculum of my six-month astrology program that I created years ago, regularly update, and have taken many students through. So a bit more on that at the end of the episode, but uh, yeah, head to the website, kelseyrosetort.com slash astrochurch if you want to learn more now or sign up for either just church or church plus Sunday school. So today we're focusing on the midtones. In the last episode, part one of the series, I focused on the undertones, the slowest moving planets, and what they either continue or shift into in 2024. And while those undertones paint the kind of abstract, in some ways subtle, but in some ways very profound background picture over these long periods, the midtones carry forward the primary themes for the the consciously registered and even more significant and more in the forefront of our lived experience over shorter periods of time. So we were really zoomed out in the last episode talking about planets like Pluto and Neptune that take 14 to 30 years to move through a sign, planets like uh, Uranus and Chiron, which Uranus takes seven years to move through a sign, Chiron, we talked about it can be either in mid-tone or in undertone, but in 2024, it's in undertone. It's in the middle of its nine-ish year transit through Aries. And so today we're going to talk about Saturn, which is in a sign for about three years, so significantly smaller chunk of time that we're orienting to. Jupiter, which spends about one year in a sign. And then and the nodes, which spend about a year and a half in a sign. And offers specifically charged moments, which we often refer to as eclipse seasons, about three times typically through that year and a half transit. So just to kind of overview these three mid-tones that I'll be referring to throughout this episode, we've got Saturn, which again spends about three years in a sign, and in 2024, Saturn does not change signs. Saturn remains in Pisces. I consider Saturn to overly generalize by transit. I consider Saturn to be showing us sort of the primary challenge of this time. And, you know, we talked about everything going on with Pluto. That's a significant challenge as well. But because that's such a long story and kind of in the background, it's it's the Pluto challenge is often not the one that we experience ourselves to be consciously facing and aware of on the day-to-day because it is this like generation-long problem or challenge or transformation taking place. So as we get into the midtones, Saturn is sort of the challenge of the midtones. Saturn is the primary challenge that we don't get to look away from that is really coloring our experience of life in these smaller chapters. And then we've got Jupiter, again, spends about a year in a sign. Jupiter, uh, again, to overly generalize, I like to describe as our meaning-making function. So Saturn is like, this is what's actually happening and challenging us that we're really consciously registering. And then Jupiter is, and how are we making meaning out of that experience of being challenged and also out of everything else happening? Jupiter does change signs in 2024, as it does in most years. 
Jupiter has been in Taurus since May of 2023. And in May of 2024, Jupiter will move into Gemini. So that'll be a significant part of what we talk about today is that shift, as well as uh, we'll spend quite a bit of time at the forefront, just really orienting to and attuning to what has been this Saturn and Pisces transit already and how will that continue in 2024. And then the other midtone we have is the nodes. The north node and the south node always exactly opposite each other, so always existing in any given time in one polarity of the zodiac. And in 2024, the nodes remain in the Aries Libra axis, north node in Aries, south node in Libra. They moved in in the middle of 2023. We've already had our first eclipses in Aries Libra, and they stay in Aries Libra throughout 2024 with all but one eclipse also taking place in this axis. Again, an overgeneralization, oversimplified description of what the nodes are is they're like the soul's recalibration that's taking place. So Saturn and Jupiter are like, what are we dealing with kind of on the mind realm? Saturn, as I'll talk about as we get into it, I sort of think of as like how we're dealing with and reckoning with our physical reality, with a reality that is bound to time and space. And then Jupiter is, and how are we coming to a sense of meaning around this experience of physical reality bound to time and space that we're in? And the nodes, they're happening, I want to say in the background, but oftentimes, especially around eclipses, the recalibration that they initiate and that they require does not feel background at all. It feels very forefront. There's a lot of upheaval associated with eclipses especially. But throughout 2024, when we're not in eclipse season, the recalibration taking place across the Aries-Libra dynamic with the nodes being in Aries-Libra is sort of like it, what is being tended to on a soul level, on a karmic level. So beginning with Saturn... Again, the general planetary significance that I will give to Saturn in this context of its three-year transits in a sign and therefore a house of our chart is that it's the primary, it denotes the primary challenge or reckoning, the thing that we don't get to look away from, the thing that we have to take a hard look at and reckon with and deal with and come to some sense of higher responsibility for higher agency within, and more integrity around. Whenever I'm introducing Saturn, I really like to point out what the Saturn glyph is made of. So if you're looking at the visuals, you can see the symbols within the Saturn glyph at the top of the screen or the top of the slide. We've got a cross, and then we've got a crescent coming out of that cross. Saturn is the cross of matter, over the crescent of the mind. And when I get to Jupiter, I'll talk about how the Jupiter glyph is just literally those two things flipped. So Jupiter is the matter, the crescent of the mind over the cross of matter, kind of mind over matter, that phrase and that concept. But Saturn is the reverse of that. Saturn is matter over mind. So it kind of has the energy of like, oh, is this what you wish? Is this what you conceive of? Is this what you hope and believe? Crescent of the mind. Well, you're going to have to deal first and foremost or instead of that with what is, dealing with the limitations of what actually is and what actually exists right now within the bounds of physical reality, within the bounds of time and space. So matter over mind, dealing with the limitations of what is. This is Saturn's prerogative. 
this is why it has this energy of like, you can't look away. You have to deal with this. And I often think of like Jupiter as this inhale because Jupiter is mind over matter, right? Jupiter is like our beliefs and our sense of meaning have a strong gravitational pull over our experience of reality. But Saturn in many ways is the reverse of that. It's the exhale. So Jupiter has this expansive in-breath and Saturn is this kind of depleting and sobering exhale. But it's not all bad, right? Like I was, I was talking a lot in the Neptune and Pisces section of the last episode about the potentially like spiritual ungroundedness where we sort of think we've transcended reality and the limitations of the Maya. We sort of think that we've escaped or awakened to a point that we don't have to deal with physical existence anymore, that we like exist on some plane outside of that, but we don't, like we're in the Maya. And so Saturn kind of regrounds us in the bounds of time and space in physical reality and tells us like, hey, your spiritual wokeness is great and all, but like you have some shit to deal with as well on the physical realm. And what Saturn offers us through that prerogative is mastery and excellence and a sense of authority and even agency. So I often think of Saturn as well as the principle of mastery, the principle of authority, because it's only through true sobering reckoning with what is owning the part of us that is bound to time and space that does exist in the maya in this physical reality that we're able to reach levels of higher integrity and mastery and also authority in our own lives in regards to how we deal with the matrix how we deal with limitation sometimes i'll refer to saturn as the disciplinarian i've lovingly referred to saturn many times in the past as the cock block of the zodiac matter over mind right so that energy of like oh you really want this well here's what you have i also think of saturn a lot as the critic it's the part of us that like it's the function within us that really wants to make things better because it's aware of where things aren't because it's really dealing with what is physically and the limitations of what is rather than dealing with wishful thinking and yeah lately i've been thinking about saturn as the accountant as well that's kind of a new archetype for me at least to think about Saturn like you know the Jupiterian in a company or in a family or a business partnership or something is going to be the one really orienting to all the possibilities and we could do this and we could do this and we could do this and then the, the Saturn's role in that is sort of to be like okay but this is what we have like this is what we have to deal with this is what we're responsible for this is what we actually are resourced for right so the one kind of managing the books and being realistic about matter over mind and so on a transit level on like a mundane transit level saturn in a sign it's these three-year chapters of pointing to where and how we're being tasked with taking greater responsibility and becoming a more ultimate ultimate authority by not being able to escape the truth of that sign and then on a personal level you can look at what house this is for you so that's what i'm going to be playing with um, as we get into Saturn and Pisces here, like what collectively are we all being tasked with taking a greater responsibility for, with becoming a more ultimate authority around? What of these 12 facets of truth that are the 12 signs of the zodiac are we taking a hard look at with Saturn and Pisces? And the timeline for Saturn and Pisces 
is from March 2023 until February 2026. So Saturn uh, in 2024, Saturn is kind of in the middle, but still the beginning middle of its three-year transit in Pisces. And just for the sake of context, we will first get our Saturn dip out of Pisces and into Aries for May through September of 2025. Uh, and then in fall of 2025, Saturn goes back into Pisces until February of 2026. So 2024 is our only calendar year with Saturn entirely in Pisces. So we're really invested on a karmic level the storyline of the cosmic karma is very invested at this point in the Saturn and Pisces lesson. So what is the Saturn and Pisces lesson? Here's some of the ways that I've been tuning into Saturn and Pisces in this nine months or so that we've had this particular influence. Words I find myself using a lot are radical surrender. Pisces is like it's the end of the zodiac, right? We've been through literally everything at that point. And in Pisces, we just kind of, I conceive of it as like melt back into the cosmic soup of oneness, of love, where there is no separation, where we are outside the confines of time and space, which that brings up an interesting contradiction that I'll get to in a moment, where if Saturn is showing us the confines of material reality, time and space. What is Saturn in Pisces existing in this realm? Pisces of the 12 signs is perhaps the one most disconnected from any bounds, including those of time and space. Pisces phrase is I believe. So with Saturn in Pisces, I think we're also taking a hard look at what we truly ultimately believe. Like where Saturn being that force that doesn't allow us to look away that like very much tasks us with reckoning with what is. Saturn in Pisces is tasking us with really looking at ultimately what do we believe on like the highest, most zoomed out level, Pisces. And how is that impacting our experience of physical reality? Here's more on that kind of contradiction of Saturn confines of, and limitations of reality in Pisces, this very limitless, boundless place. I kind of see it as we're dealing with the limitation of limitless. So when we tap into the component of truth, Pisces, that is that everything is everywhere all at once, that nothing matters, that everything is already perfect, that ultimate connection is where we come from and where we're going and that these experiences of separateness aren't quote real as we deal with that how does that affect our orientation towards these realities that we are bound to experience and move through in this linear way even as we get as many of us get more and more insight into the truth of timelessness and spacelessness outside of this maya outside of this matrix so we're really reckoning with the contradiction of a reality that is bound by space and time inside of an ultimate spaceless, timeless truth. And to maybe ground that a little bit, I sort of see that in a way as like this mastery, Saturn, of unconditional love and faith. And there's also a feeling of like the discipline of surrender, like 
the hard work of surrender, the discipline of letting go and trusting in the flow of something higher, something unlimited beyond what we're able to conceive of within this limited reality that we are at least partially embodying so long as we are incarnated here on this realm. This is very much Saturn's realm in a way, right? The 3D to me is very much Saturn's realm. I talked about in the last episode how I think I mentioned how Rob Hand's orientation to the outers was really useful to me, where Saturn is like, for the large majority of history, as humanity, we perceived Saturn as the edge of the solar system. It was It's the last physical body in space visible to the, the last, um, within our solar system, the last body visible to the human eye. So we didn't even know about Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and Chiron uh, until initially Uranus's discovery in 1781. And so Saturn in many ways represents, again, the physical bounds of space and also the, the reality that we can register, the reality that we have been historically most accustomed to. And then Uranus with its breakthrough liberation energy pierced through that boundary that we literally thought was the edge, right? Like Saturn... Um, in the tarot is the world card, like literally the end of the major arcana and the the vessel that holds everything inside of it. That's the energy of Saturn. Uranus pierces through that to show us what's beyond, which is Neptune and Pluto and these more kind of ethereal karmic qualities beyond just the physical sensations and awarenesses of the 3D, the third dimension. And I think about this a lot, too. I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but it'll help maybe uh, get into get the feel for how I conceive of Saturn. I think a lot about human design when I think about Saturn, because um, in human design, according to Ra, before we discovered Uranus, that's when we were seven-centered beings. And the discovery of Uranus and some other spacey things that happened coincides with the mutation within human beings from seven-centered beings to nine-centered beings. And if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it or just let it simmer, let it mean whatever it means to you in this moment. But for those of you who study human design, to me, that's a very um, helpful way to orient to Saturn. Saturn is the seven-centered being. Uh, being. Saturn represents sort of the seven-centered way of being in some ways. I don't want to I don't want to like um, diminish Saturn because Saturn absolutely has a role within the nine-centered reality, within the reality that tunes into these more ethereal components of consciousness represented by the outer planets. But Saturn in and of itself is very oriented to the seven-centered nature, which was historically led by the awareness of the spleen, which is all about survival, and the awareness of the mind, which is all about linearity and understanding in a mental capacity. And as a species, we're moving into something beyond that, but the nine centers include the seven centers that preceded it, right? Just because we have access to Uranus, Neptune, Chiron, Pluto, now, on a conscious level, we still are dealing with <laughs> everything inside of that. We're still dealing with these much more tangible, human, egocentric qualities of aliveness that are associated more with the ego and the mind and survival. They're still a part of this experience of matrix. 
Um, but, you know, anytime a planet moves through Pisces, it's the end of a cycle in a way, right? Like it's this clearing out, this purification, coming back to the cosmic soup, fully releasing the entirety of everything that came before it to then begin anew with a new incarnation or a new cycle um, as it moves into Aries. And so, yeah, our orientation to physical reality is really being cleared in a sense, being reset in a sense with Saturn and Pisces. And as I mentioned, here's just like, I'm going to get reiterate the Saturn and Pisces dates, but with some more information here to kind of orient to Saturn's movement throughout 2024, even though it stays in Pisces all year, there's still stuff happening there of note. Uh, so none of this Saturn and Pisces influence is new. Saturn first introduced his specifically Piscean influence in spring of 2023. The bookends of the Saturn and Pisces dates are March 2023 to February of 2026, Again, with a dip into Aries, beginning previewing the next Saturn transit from May to September 2025. Within 2024, Saturn starts the year direct at three degrees, about three degrees Pisces. Uh, it already had gotten to about four degrees during 2023, but then it retrograded and now it's direct at three degrees um, right in the middle of the month. June 29th, Saturn will station retrograde at 19 degrees, 25 minutes Pisces. So Saturn makes it pretty deep into Pisces this year, almost covering the first two decans of Pisces and then starts to move backwards all the way to 12 degrees and 41 minutes where it will station direct on November 15th and it will end 2024 recently direct at 14 degrees and 33 minutes of Pisces. So how does this Saturn in Pisces sort of radical surrender, taking a hard look at the, our beliefs, at the contradiction of limitation within limitlessness, how is this showing up within the context of the other outer planets? Well, Saturn in Pisces sextiles Pluto during the small parts of 2024 when Pluto is still in Capricorn, but this was also a major theme in 2023 because for most of 2023, both Saturn was in Pisces and Pluto was in Capricorn. So that's, so that's a theme that continues for moments, but not the entirety of 2024. What is this? So this is a by sign sextile. There's no exact sextile. Um, but by sign, Saturn in Pisces is sextile to Pluto and Cap. So one way to translate this, the ongoing mastery of surrender, Saturn in Pisces, can collaborate with the concluding decimation of Pluto and Capricorn. So as the ambitions of the old paradigm implode, something bigger and higher and less tangible comes forth to become our primary focus and guidance. As the ground beneath us that has been the model for society that we were taught and conditioned to trust and work through and towards, that we built our sense of ambition on, Pluto and Capricorn, the destruction of our ambitions, of our systems that design our ambitions and our societal roles and societal context, as that collapses, as that paradigm implodes, the hard work of surrender that is Saturn in Pisces, the cleansing of our orientation to physical reality that is Saturn in Pisces offers support 
Now, it might not be as a comfortable support. We're talking about two pretty malefic planets, Saturn and Pluto, but these malefic experiences are working together to support the inevitable process of one another. That's sextile. It's a supportive collaboration. And so, I mean, to me, that's pretty clear, but let me try to break it down a little bit more. When we can't rely on the structures to give us a sense of what we're moving towards and what we're working towards and how we fit into society and what our responsibilities are because capitalism is falling, because we're divesting on a collective level from colonialism as we see the exposure of the power dynamics and the rot within these systems that have run the planet. As all of that is happening, we don't know where we're going next yet. We don't know what to replace these old systems with, the old paradigm with. But as we discover it in real time, the hard work of surrender, radical surrender, letting go and allowing for higher more ultimate, less human, less ego influence and insight to guide us, to connect us back with cosmic flow, with divine flow, that is not easy, but it is an element of support. So this has been significant throughout 2023, as I mentioned, and we'll have little blips of that. We'll have some continued collaboration around these two forces in 2024. However, However, for most of 2024, Pluto will be in Aquarius, which is a neighbor sign to Pisces. And so there's no major aspect there. Saturn in Pisces does not aspect Pluto when it's in Aquarius. So one way we can kind of look at this is that that surrender principle of Saturn in Pisces has more to do directly with the earthly collapse of Pluto in Capricorn than the intellectual collapse to follow with Pluto in Aquarius. Although... Saturn in Pisces rules both of these Pluto apocalypse territories. It rules both Capricorn and Aquarius. And so the discipline of, of surrender, the radical surrender, the hard work of letting go into the flow that is Saturn in Pisces is an influence that's ruling over, that's trickling down and influencing our experience of both of these apocalypses that we're straddling right now with Pluto and Cap and Pluto and Aquarius. Maybe we just won't be as consciously tapped into how the Aquarius story um, is relating to and supported by and influenced by Saturn and Pisces as we've been able to be with the Cap-Pluto story. We've also got Saturn and Pisces co-present with Neptune. There's no exact conjunction of Saturn and Pisces and Neptune, but throughout all of 2024, Saturn is working its way closer and closer to a Neptune and Pisces. So one way we can translate this is the ongoing mastery of surrender continues to blend with and work towards a fusion with the also ongoing spiritual disillusionment, spiritual re-illusionment that is Neptune and Pisces. I have a couple memes to articulate that, um, I think, in, a, in the next couple slides. So I might just hold off on translating that more for this moment because I think the memes do better justice. Um, when we're, whenever I'm in a water sign, you know, or dealing with Neptune, it's like, art and ideas are more effective than language. Uh, but I, w I will note that 
the climax of this Saturn moving towards Neptune is in February 2026, but it's not even in Pisces. It's in zero degrees Aries. So not a ton of thoughts on that in the moment, but it's very interesting to me that this like surrender and disillusionment combo of Saturn and Neptune is Pisces. It doesn't like come to full fruition until both bodies have moved into Aries. And so it brings me it like the sensation that I get when I consider this still over two years away from the moment is like this process of surrender and disillusionment actually leads us to a reorientation, a reimagining of dealing with our separateness. I'll leave it at that for now. Catch me in two years or two and a half years um, for probably more specific and clear insight around that. And then the other cosmic context, Saturn and Pisces aspects with the previously mentioned undertones that I want to mention is that Saturn and Pisces for all of 2024 will be by sign sextiling Uranus and Taurus. There's no exact aspect, but the whole year we have this backdrop of like potential support and collaboration between Saturn and Pisces and Uranus and Taurus. So the ongoing mastery of surrender can collaborate with the also ongoing somatic disruption and liberation. So Uranus and Taurus, as we continue to reckon with the stubborn stubbornness of our bodies and what our bodies are resourcing us towards and what their bodies are not resourcing us towards as we continue to break through unwellness and have this like revolution on the somatic level this is related to the Pluto and Capricorn story as well right there's soft aspects between all of this as the society collapses around us and we see what our bodies aren't are and aren't willing to do we don't really know what to do with that. We can't really like strategize with that so much because it's being body led. It's being nature led. And there's a real strong connection between being body led and nature led, Uranus and Taurus, and spirit led, divinely led, led by our faith, Saturn and Pisces. So we don't understand how listening to our bodies is necessarily going to take us to the next thing but we can trust that it will so saturn in pisces in aspect to all these other planets just sort of summing up big picture how i'm tapping into this what this looks like to me within the cosmic context of 2024 saturn again the primary challenge the reckoning the principle of mastery Saturn is the confines of physical reality, time and space, but in Pisces it swims through clouds and waters and ethers and realms that operate outside of these confines of time and space, or at least that have some access to the reality beyond this one. And I have one of these Salvador Dali paintings here, the one with the melting clocks as a visual. Some questions I have here are for Saturn and Pisces, and so for for 2024 are what do we have outside of space and time what is real with saturn and pisces the boundaries between dimensions and realities and timelines are blurred because we are dealing with in a very real way in a very strongly felt way dealing with and reckoning with the place where all realities and all dimensions and all timelines come to merge where there is no separation 
So what is the relationship between the realm of Maya, this third dimension that we live on in our bodies with our minds, and the realm that transcends it? The parts of us that are invested in this experience of limited reality, Saturn, and the parts of us that have always existed beyond this limited reality, what's the relationship between these parts of us? And what does embodied integrity look like for each of us individually as we discover more and more the Piscean truth of unconditional oneness, existential everythingness and existential nothingness, ultimate perfection and no choiceness as we continue to work on our mastery of surrender, as we continue to work on our, on having more trust, more integrity, more belief in flow outside of that which we can control and that which we can direct, how does our relationship to this Saturnian sort of responsibility and agency and integrity change? In other words, when we tap deeply into surrender and flow, how does that change how we deal with the very real problems that are existent and persistent in our individual lives and in our collective reality. Um, the theme of like spiritual bypass comes to mind here. For a couple years now, I've been working with the, the term and the concept of spiritual encompassing because I think like the, the potential to use like other dimensional support or awareness to bypass physical reality exists and that's what people call spiritual bypass right uh using spiritual concepts or religion to discount the very real pain and trauma and injustice on the planet but i also think I've, like I said, I've been kind of working with and playing with this term and this concept of spiritual encompassing, where there's a way, I believe, to hold and be present with and aware of and honor and validate all of the pain and trauma of this physical reality while still remaining connected to the parts of us that in some way did choose this particular pain, this particular trauma, again, on individual and collective levels. And so this to me, like working that out, coming into a balanced, integrated awareness of that nothing matters and everything matters, that we have no control, that our God selves chose this particular pain and trauma and that faith and flow and surrender are, if not the only, then one of the strong requirements in order for us to move through this experience and integrate it. With Saturn and Pisces, we are, we're looking at that. We're taking a hard look at that. When are we bypassing and when can we encompass? And is there a distinction between those two things? When am I trying to escape physical reality by tapping into these extra dimensional realms and aspects of myself and support and when am I really able to surrender into those other outside of earthly forces to guide my integrated human embodied experience 
Okay, it's meme time. So eyes to the slides or the video if you have access to those. Otherwise, I'll just do my best to describe some of these. The first meme I have, um, I think I made this a little bit before Saturn and Pisces. I just have screenshots of an Instagram post of mine here. Um, but they feel very Saturn and Pisces to me. One of them is one of my Venn diagrams. So the overlap in the middle of the Venn diagram says losing your mind. And on one side, it says losing your mind might feel super destabilizing, can send you spinning, makes you doubt everything you know, feels like the ground is coming out from other, underneath you. But on the other hand, the other end of the Venn diagram says losing your mind leaves you alone with your body reminds you of the taste of surrender, creates an opening for the unknown, and is a side effect of constructs shattering, not the ground. The ground is still there. Go touch it. So that to me, I think is, uh, it feels like the sextile I was describing between Uranus and Taurus and Saturn and Pisces. The body can guide us when the constructs of reality no longer can. And I want to point out because this Venn diagram, I'm referring specifically to the mind, which we don't often refer to as Saturn, right? Um, especially, you know, I introduced Saturn today as the cross of matter over the mind, right? So Saturn's not the mind, but the mind is or at least has been the default tool that we have had as a species for navigating reality within Saturn's terms. So Saturn's terms being the, the bounds of time and space. The mind is the computer, the processor that exists for us to navigate that reality. And so our relationship to mind changes a lot as our relationship to reality changes. And then with this, I also have a meme that just says the vibe right now. And it's this little kid riding a bike with both hands in the air. And it says, look, God, no hands. So that to me is very Saturn and Pisces energy to me, like, look, I'm not trying to direct anything. I'm not trying to control anything. I am like riding my bike. I am like pedaling with my legs. I'm working. Saturn wants us to work. Saturn doesn't want us to entirely like give up and do nothing, but it wants us to put the energy, put the effort, put the muscle into something, but be guided by flow, be guided by God, by divine just going to read a couple other things I have here. Um, attached to nothing, connected to everything. That was something I saw online that felt very Saturn and Pisces at the beginning of the transit. The existential urge to dissolve the arbitrary borders of space and time and merge with eternal oneness. That's both Saturn and Neptune together, specifically in Pisces. And then I really like this other one. These last two are from that Words Are Vibrations account. I think his name is James McRae. This one I really like because it's about the power of surrender, which kind of brings this element of like the badassery of surrender. And Saturn's not, Saturn doesn't just like give up and surrender in a powerless way. Saturn surrenders in like a dom way. Like Saturn is the dom of the sky. So I'll just read this quote. The power of surrender. Surrender is not about quitting. It's about giving up the need for control and aligning your intentions with higher wisdom. This is the difference between force and flow. While in flow, things happen without effort. Synchronicities emerge. Your only job is to find flow, to find a guidance system beyond the desire of your ego mind. Surrender is the portal. I love this because 
for me, my experience of surrender is actually like deeply empowering. And I don't know that that always comes through in the way that I talk about surrender. Like when I work with people on human design and I talk about radical no choiceness and what the concept of no choice has taught me in my human design experiment, for me, it's like, I mean, it can get in my mind and pollute a bit and get me trapped into the binary at times. But overall, that concept of no choice and surrender has been like so deeply liberating to me because it makes space for the secret third thing, which is the divine, which is flow, which is guidance and a process and an unfolding beyond what we could ever possibly imagine. And I think when we want to fight with the concept of surrender, often when we want to fight with the concept of like no choice, that's often, if not always, the ego mind just grasping at this fallacy of control. Giving up control, <laughs> to me, that's what surrender is. Not letting go of our power or our agency in entirety in any way. It's, it's owning up to or maybe owning down to the limitations of our control, the limitations of our agency so that our agency is able to do what it can within a greater context that allows for divine flow and guidance beyond the desire of the ego mind. And then this last one, I think this last one, I really like this one also, James McRae, because this kind of speaks to that concept of spiritual bypass versus spiritual encompassing that I mentioned that feels very Saturn and Pisces. And it says, it takes a tremendous amount of emotional and spiritual maturity to witness in full force the collective shadow of humanity and keep your heart open. So again, Saturn, a hard truth, a reckoning, but in Pisces, with doing like looking at the hard truths and reckoning but with faith and love with full acceptance because we understand that all of this is perfect that every single facet of the human experience on the smallest individual levels most trivial small individual levels to the biggest really important significant seeming global themes all of it is sacred all of it is perfect, even when it's awful, even when it exposes the shadow. It's still sacred. It's still perfect. That's Saturn in Pisces to me. Saturn in Pisces approaching Neptune in Pisces has this feeling of like bringing integrity, hard truth, and maturation to the disillusionment experience that is Neptune in Pisces. I have this Spider-Man meme where in the first frame, the girl's saying, tell me the truth, I'm, I'm ready to hear it. And then the truth that Spider-Man responds with is attachment to spiritual identity is ego too. <laughs> and I see this one so loudly, like in myself and also in many people I work with and people online, there's like such a, when we like wake up or whatever, I don't really personally vibe with that phrase all that much but as we continuously awaken to truth beyond the realm of the 3d there's a real temptation to fully identify with our quote awake selves which this is what i talked about a lot with neptune and pisces in in part one is that like that's ego like that's not what awareness and awakeness actually 
resources us with. It doesn't actually resource us with an escape from the matrix, an escape from the polarity of the Maya. It just gives us a different and more flexible orientation to dealing with the matrix, to dealing with the polarity of the Maya. So I think with Neptune on its own in Pisces, that's that kind of like contradiction I talked about in part one of like, it can help us see beyond the constructs and tap into divinity and our God selves and connection beyond the separation of this realm, but it can also just as easily re-confuse us and re-trap us in some new delusion different from the delusion that we're in the process of or the different delusions that we're constantly in the process of awakening to so i think saturn coming in and joining forces with neptune and pisces is bringing a level of integrity and maturation through like really making us reckon with and deal with shit so having to look at our spiritual immaturity and how our spiritual contexts have provided more fodder for the ego to attach um, in ways that maybe look like they look with their words and their actions like awakeness. But if you are really tapped in on a frequency level, you can feel that it's just the same old ego bullshit. So yeah, I look forward to like a maturization of spiritual contexts and how we engage with spiritual contexts with the continued Saturn and Pisces transit. And yeah, this last, I think I've sent this last meme like four times. Um, I do like sharing them all though, because they hit on like different aspects of Saturn and Pisces that I'm not sure I feel I've adequately described. So here's another one. It's just this chick talking and she's saying, my favorite life hack is trusting God more than my intrusive thoughts. And I love that. I love that for Saturn and Pisces and maybe especially for Saturn and Pisces square Jupiter and Gemini, which I'll talk about in a bit. But it also does feel like Saturn approaching Neptune and Pisces. Uh, radical surrender to other dimensional truth that exists outside of what the mind is able to grasp and articulate. All right, so summing it up, 2024, the cosmic context as Saturn brings it through. Here are some of my Saturn and Pisces in aspect insights. Saturn directs us from Pisces as we shift from one Pluto era, Capricorn, into the next, Aquarius. Both of these Plutonian apocalyptic chapters, the ultimate undertone of collapse and destruction and transformation and rebirth, both of them are taking place within Saturn's own domain in this pair of Saturn signs. Saturn rules Capricorn and Aquarius. And so everything that is Saturn in Pisces is influencing, guiding, ruling over, watching over, directing these Plutonian eclipses that are happening in Pluto and Aquarius, or the, the last days of Pluto and Capricorn and the first days of Pluto and Aquarius. Because as the shift happens, for both, all three times that Pluto moves um, into Aquarius and back into Capricorn, for all of that, Saturn's in Pisces, ruling that straddle, straddling. So it's the Saturn and Pisces depth of surrender to faith, surrender to other dimensionality, and the mastery of our ultimate spiritual receptivity and faith that carry us through the collapse of our Capricorn institutions, what we use, right? Capricorn is I utilize, and into the start of the collapse of our intellectual guardrails, what we know, Aquarius is I know. And these intellectual guardrails 
have thus far like they've protected us from an ego mind place but they've also blocked us from a more whole integration of what is beyond and so this receptivity this faith this radical surrender that is saturn in pisces is like the keeper of this experience of transformation of our institutions what we use and transformation of our intellectual guardrails what we know in other words, as the systems that we once depended upon and built our lives around become increasingly untenable, we look for new ground to stand on. But the ground with Saturn and Pisces is actually the sky, the ether, the everythingness and the nothingness. So we might find something concrete, but we find it through ultimate faith in the unconditional perfection of the divine flow of life. We don't find it in answers. We don't find it in systems. We don't find it necessarily in physical reality. We find it in flow. We find it in belief. We find it in faith in surrender. And across this threshold from one Pluto apocalypse era to another, there's support from the ongoing somatic revolution and urgency towards radical authenticity and well-being that is Uranus and Taurus. Even though, as we talked about in part one, once Pluto goes into Aquarius, that Uranus and Taurus somatic revolution, liberation through the body, will be squared by Pluto in Aquarius. The soft aspect from Saturn and Pisces to Uranus still brings some support to the Pluto-Aquarius tension. We still have some softness, some supportive collaboration. Personal considerations for Saturn and Pisces. The big idea, in 2024, you're in the middle of a three-year period of being challenged to access more discipline in your practice of surrender, your faith, your acceptance of other dimensional support, and your belief in unconditional love and ultimate perfection, especially pertaining to your Pisces house. So if you haven't already, look at or consider your Pisces whole sign house and any placements you have in Pisces for more context on how this radical surrender challenge shows up for you. This challenge and potential for mastery will carry you through the apocalyptic shifts that straddle the Pluto and Cap and Pluto and Aqua collective themes in your Pluto, uh, sorry, in your Capricorn and Aquarius houses. So all three of those houses which show up consecutively in your chart are a part of this story. Other considerations, now that we're coming in more closer to Earth, we are... The, the transits of these planets the, with the midtones and then especially the upper tones, it's not just going to be conjunctions that are really significant. Now it's going to be other hard aspects as well. So because Saturn in Pisces is an immutable sign, for those of you with mutable Saturns, this is a significant part of your 30-ish year Saturn story. So the mutable signs are Pisces, of course, and then Gemini, Virgo, and Sagittarius. So if you have Saturn in any of those signs, then this three-year Saturn and Pisces story, which again is significant, especially in 2024, because Saturn's in Pisces for all of 2024, this is a significant chapter within one of your larger planetary cycles, a 30-year cycle. So if you have Saturn in Pisces, this is your, your Saturn return, perhaps your first one, maybe your second or third. So it's this really intense reset for you on all of these Saturnian principles, how you deal with reality, your own sense of responsibility, integrity, and authority over your own life. If you have natal Saturn in Sagittarius, this is your opening Saturn square. So this is the first time transit Saturn has made hard contact, hard aspect contact with your natal Saturn since your Saturn return. So this is a first sort of like crisis, productive tension, 
um, requirement for evolution and adjustment since your Saturn return. If you have Saturn in Virgo natally, this is your Saturn opposition. So your 14-ish, 15-ish years from your Saturn return um, or on either end uh, before, since your last one, if you had a last one and ahead of your next one. And the Saturn opposition is like a climax. Um, it's the, the top of the hill, the, the big event of your Saturn cycle. And if you have Saturn in Gemini, this is your closing Saturn square. So a final crisis uh, as your first or second or third 30-year cycle with Saturn comes to a close. Any placements beyond just Saturn, but any placements that any of us have from about three degrees to about 19 degrees of any of the mutable signs will receive either conjunctions or hard aspects from transiting Saturn. So, of course, if you have planets specifically in Pisces, between 3 to 19 degrees, it's technically 3 degrees, 18 minutes to 19 degrees, 25 minutes of Pisces. That's where Saturn transits this year. You're going to get an exact conjunction from Saturn if you have planets in that range of Pisces. And especially people who have placements or planets around 19 or 13 specifically, um, those are the station retrograde and station direct points respectively of Saturn and Pisces so any placements or planets you have at those degrees specifically at or around 19 or 13 they they get an extra dose during their conjunction um, if you have planets or placements between 13 and 19 they're going to get multiple passes but at 13 and 19 they Saturn really slows down and put digs his feet in um, and so placements there are going to get a lot, a lot of Saturnian doses. Uh, but even if not within Pisces, those same degrees, those same points in the mutable signs get hard aspect. So either squares or oppositions and hard, hard aspects are when we really notice things. So they tend to mark more significant experiences with transits. And of course, as I've said, for every personal consideration section so far, these placements and any houses they rule in your chart that get hit by Saturn will be particularly challenged by Saturn, especially in the weeks and months around the exact aspects. All right, let's get into Jupiter. General planetary significance of Jupiter, how we make meaning. The flipped version of the glyph of Saturn so for Jupiter, we have the crescent of the mind over the cross of matter, mind over matter, how we orient consciously to what's happening. So here's what's happening that we have to deal with. Here's what we're dealing with on, in physical reality, in real time, in real space. But what meaning are we making out of that? How does our mind orient consciously to what's happening? So I often refer to Jupiter as the meaning-making function. And also, as I mentioned it's the inhale to Saturn's exhale. Saturn is this sobering depletion of breath. It empties out. Jupiter fills and expands. Jupiter is the planet in our solar system with the greatest gravitational pull, like literally. And perhaps in our lived experience, metaphorically, right? AKA the weight of our perception and reality and beliefs, the weight of our meaning-making function has a huge gravitational pull on our lived experience of on our lives. So there's what's happening and then there's how we conceptualize what's happening. There's what's soberingly true according to the terms of physical reality, Saturn, and then there's how we make sense of that, Jupiter. 
So Jupiter can show us what is influencing our sense of purpose, conviction, faith, optimism, belief, and therefore what can bring us back to our center as the wheel of samsara spins around, the wheel of karma spins around. Jupiter spends about a year in a sign and makes the shift from Taurus to Gemini on May 25th, 2024. So for the first uh, about five, almost five months of the year, so just under a half of the year, we have Jupiter in Taurus. Jupiter first entered Taurus May 16th of 2023 and will remain there until May 25th of 2024. Taurus, as we discussed a lot in part one with Uranus in Taurus, is fixed earth. Taurus's phrase is, I have. So we've been making meaning through the body, through presence, through ease, through our well-being or lack of well-being. We've been making meaning about the stubbornness of form, of physical material reality on the most localized level of the body. And also flip that, we can also translate Jupiter and Taurus as what meaning do we make out of our experience of the body, presence, ease, well-being, and the stubbornness of form. On May 25th, 2024, and through the end of the year, and in fact, almost half of the following year, 2025, we'll have Jupiter into Gemini. So kind of similar to Pluto leaving Capricorn, Cardinal Earth, and entering Aquarius, fixed Earth, going from a very like tangible realm into a very mental intellectual realm. We have Jupiter leaving fixed earth, Taurus, and going into mutable air, Gemini. So Jupiter, the meaning-making function in Gemini, mutable air, Gemini's phrase is, I perceive, we will then be making meaning through, through the possibilities that our mind perceives, making meaning through the function of language, through our curiosity, through multiplicity, through the mutability, the changeability of perception and thought. And also, again, flipping that, Jupiter and Gemini, we could translate as what meaning do we make out of our experience of mental possibilities, language, curiosity, multiplicity, the changeability of perception and thought. So, you know, we're still going to have Uranus and Taurus for all of 2024 and beyond. So this this emphasis on the the body revolution, somatic awareness, nervous system stuff, well-being, health, or lack of well-being and health, and the stubbornness of our body and, and nature, nature with the body as the primary tell being our guide into next steps rather than the mind is all like Taurus stuff and Uranus and Taurus stuff for the last year Jupiter joined forces with Uranus and Taurus and for the beginning of 2024 that remains the case Jupiter's working towards a conjunction to Uranus and Taurus but in 2024 Jupiter Jupiter will also leave Taurus and go into Gemini so if Jupiter gives us a sense of meaning and purpose and understanding then we can kind of look at it as like this period of really consciously being with and making meaning around and gaining understanding about this Uranus-Taurus transit that is the somatic awareness revolution, that's coming to a close. The somatic awareness revolution continues, but we're no longer going to be putting so much conscious weight 
around meaning and understanding on it, we're going to move forward into making our meaning through this Geminian way, coming back to the mind, coming back to like a stimulated perception of what we're experiencing. So kind of summing that up a bit in language here, Jupiter and Gemini, this is my natal placement, um, you know, so using language, using words, using sort of like systems for languages like the cosmic languages that I refer to all the time, astrology and human design, to have a sense of meaning and understanding. That's very Jupiter and Gemini, and I'm a native Jupiter and Gemini, so I'm an example of that. As Jupiter concludes its year in Taurus and moves on to Gemini, what has been gained and learned during the Taurus transit, body awareness, somatic resourcing, nervous system revolution, upgrades to how we conceptualize ease, well-being, and presence, begins to stimulate our perception and shift how we think about everything. Gemini is thinking about anything and everything all the time with massive curiosity and openness to change. And so I like to think about this Jupiter and Taurus transit it synced up with Uranus and Taurus and it gave us a greater understanding, maybe a greater sense of meaning and faith and trust in the importance of the body revolution, the importance of the Uranus and Taurus breakthrough. That breakthrough, that liberation, that revolution continues, but now Jupiter, our sense of meaning making and purpose and faith and understanding moves on. So how has this greater understanding of the body and well-being and health and presence and ease, these Taurus themes, how is that then going to become the foundation for shifting our perceptions and understandings on this mutable air level um, in our intellectual curious approach? I often think for me as a native Jupiter and Gemini, I'm often thinking about how what feels meaningful to me, what feels like purposeful to me, these are Jupiter, Jupiter significations, is possibility. It's very Gemini, like lots of different possibilities, spaciousness for all sorts of different ideas and stimulation and inspiration. That feels incredibly grounding for me as a native Jupiter and Gemini. I feel spacious and happy and I feel I have a sense of purpose and meaning in my life when I'm orienting to all sorts of possibilities. And so, yeah, what becomes possible as we continue to integrate a deeper understanding and trust and faith in the body and in the revolution of listening to the body? So things I'm watching, um, both, in, both with the end of Jupiter in Taurus and then moving into Jupiter in Gemini, in the mainstream, I think more challenges to a homogenized approach, more curiosity about differentiation. Gemini is like so good at differentiation and dehomogenizing because Gemini is not really down to stick with any one way of thinking. Uh, it's opposite. It's the polarity to Sagittarius and Sagittarius is where things can potentially become very dogmatic, right? And Gemini prefers a much more prismatic approach. Gemini is like, Ooh, I can see your point and A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P all the way through to the end of the alphabet and beyond because Gemini is perceptive of and valuing all potential possibilities. And so, yeah, I see like within the mainstream with Jupiter and Gemini on a collective level, our meaning making becomes more like fractured 
but in a good way, (laughs) in a way, I mean, Jupiter is in detriment in Gemini. So in a quote, good way, I don't know. I don't know if it will be experienced that way by all egos, but I think that part of the potential fruit of Jupiter and Gemini is like more curiosity about all the different ways of being and thinking and the different ways of making meaning and differentiated approach- approaches. Um, perhaps an uptick in skill-based learning. Gemini is often associated with like skill-based learning, new skills being learned, pe- people picking up new skills, new languages, new orientations to skill trading, perhaps outside of existing transactional structures like we're reoriented to what we have, Jupiter and Taurus, to our sense of physical resourcedness on the most basic level. And how does this affect our exchange of communications and skills? How does this deeper understanding of the body revolution, the limitations of form, how does that change the way we orient to the possibilities of how we communicate with one another, of how we exchange skills and knowledge with one another? I think maybe seeing things like new and varied platforms for communication with Jupiter and Gemini, both inside and outside of the internet. So just maybe maybe that'll be a physical manifestation of this idea of like new picking up new skills and languages and new orientations to the exchange of information and the exchange of, of skills and services as we continue to differentiate and continue to divest from the old systems for transactions. So, I mean, this has been happening for a while already, right, with Saturn in Aquarius and the Saturn return of the internet that coincided with that and the little dip of Pluto into Aquarius. Like Jupiter not that long ago was in Aquarius as well. It was a lot faster than the other planets we've talked about so far. So there, yeah, there's something here to me about, oh, I got lost track for a minute. But what I was saying is what's been around for a while already are like, you know, it used to be MySpace and Facebook, and now there's, like, so many social medias, right? And there's so many different versions of Patreon, and there's Telegram, and there's WhatsApp, and there's Discord, and there's just, like, so many different platforms, and I think we're going to see more of that with Jupiter and Gemini, like, more, like, fracturing into these different potential possibilities for where we communicate and where we connect. We may see loud opinions or lots of opinions, um, challenges to dogma, right? Because Gemini is the antithesis to Sagittarius. But at the same time, the opposite signs I often like to say are just each other in drag. Uh, They're two sides of the same coin. So I think we might also see some doubling down on dogma. Um, And I'm remembering, you know, this is recent nodal territory. It's not that long ago that the nodes were in Gemini and Sag. And so we saw a lot of shadow of both sides of this axis and I think Jupiter coming back into Gemini is going to kind of call back a recent um, recalibration of the shadow of both Gemini and Sag so yeah we might see like a lot of challenging dogma as truth becomes more multifaceted in the mainstream but I think we will also see some doubling down on dogma because the idea of truth being fractured and being multifaceted and layered and changeable <laughs> is a big threat to the ego mind and to people living from the fallacy of control and the ego mind level. Truth is hard to know with Jupiter and Gemini. Jupiter wants to find the truth, right? 
That's part of why Jupiter is in detriment in Gemini, because Gemini doesn't rest on any one truth. With Jupiter and Gemini, truth is hard to know. Truth cannot be easily verified, and that feels connected to Pluto and Aquarius and some AI themes or maybe some alien themes. Truth becomes multifaceted. Truth becomes differentiated. Jupiter in 2024 in the cosmic context in relation to aspects with the undertones that we talked about in part one and with Saturn. So we've, I mentioned this already a little bit. In 2024, we have two different versions of Jupiter trine Pluto. For the first 20 days of the year, January 1st through January 20th, we have Jupiter still in Taurus, trine Pluto still in Capricorn. No, no exact aspect, but by sign for the first 20 days of the month. Um, and so we've, I mean, I don't know that I need to re-elaborate this but you know a trine is just like a big flow of automatic support so Jupiter and Taurus understanding the body stuff has been support with the destruction of the Capricorn stuff and then when Pluto ingresses into Aquarius on January 20th Jupiter's still in Taurus so for about four months until May 25th we've got Jupiter still in Taurus squaring by sign the new Pluto in Aquarius. So how does this Jupiter and Taurus feel change even though it stays the same and the backdrop, the ultimate undertone of Pluto shifts? I'll talk about that in a moment. And, then, and when Jupiter's in Gemini, but Pluto's back in Capricorn, we don't have an aspect at all. So we have a little interlude, two and a half months of no aspect between these signs. And then we end the year when Pluto goes back into Aquarius uh, we end the year with a trine, a by sign trine again. Okay, so there was all the information. Now let me try to translate it a bit. While Jupiter and Pluto are trine, we have our meaning-making function happening in ways that are conducive to the Plutonian devastation and rebirth that's happening and vice versa. And this happens at the Earth level, on the Earth level at the start of the year, which I've already talked about quite a bit, body revolution, body understanding, resourcing, the destruction of our systems, and vice versa. And then it happens on the air level at the end of the year, at the middle and the end of the year. So now this new orientation towards making meaning, finding purpose, and the possibility, and the openness, and the differentiation, and the fractured truth rather than seeking one homogenized truth in the multifaceted nature of truth, Jupiter and Gemini, that's going to resource and support and flow harmoniously with this new era that we're stepping into with Pluto and Aquarius of having what we know begin to be very much challenged and exposed uh, and, and destroyed to an extent with Pluto and Aquarius. So for much of 2024, Jupiter and Pluto are supporting one another as apocalypse happens around us first in the realm of earth and then in the realm of air the there are many moments throughout the year where the way that we make meaning is supporting that apocalypse and vice versa but in between the air the earth trine and the air trine we have a, a brief interlude of productive tension because from january 20th to may 25th Jupiter still in Taurus is now squared by Pluto in Aquarius. And so there's going to be some tension there as we're continuing to make our meaning through the body and everything that Jupiter in Taurus entails. 
Pluto and Aquarius, I mean, it's going to challenge. It's challenging what we know, right? It's beginning to expose untruths and rot in what we think we know and what we most hold on to in what we think we know, Aquarius. So yeah, something to look out for. Maybe I'll talk about it more in part three when I'm looking at the year in a quarterly view. Um, I'll definitely talk about it as it's happening in real time in Astro Church, that that momentary, that four-month-long square between Jupiter and Taurus and Pluto and Aquarius. All right, and then we've got Jupiter and Saturn, Neptune. So Jupiter in Taurus sextile Saturn and Neptune by sign from the start of the year and also for most of 2023 until the May 25th ingress. And Jupiter in Taurus will reach an exact sextile to Neptune and Pisces on May 23rd. So right before Jupiter leaves Taurus, it comes into an exact sextile, an exact moment of collaboration with Neptune and Pisces. Translation, meaning making has a chance to collaborate with the hard work of surrender and spiritual dis and re-illusionment. But then Jupiter moves into Gemini and Gemini has a square relationship to Saturn and Neptune in Pisces. So we go from like this abundance of attention and meaning around physicality and Taurus and ease and all of those things, resourcing, collaborating with supporting the Saturn and Neptune in Pisces vibe, which I'm going to try not to repeat every translation because I spent an hour, probably like an hour and a half collectively talking about Saturn and Neptune in Pisces. So refer back to those threads. Jupiter and Taurus collaborated with those. Jupiter and Gemini will challenge those square again, productive tension. So meaning making will tensely challenge the hard work of surrender and spiritual disillusionment and spiritual reillusionment. One way we can think about this is Jupiter and Gemini loves to figure shit out using the tools of the mind because it's fun. It's literally like fun to try to find meaning in all these different ways of thinking, Jupiter and Gemini. But that's not the Saturn and Pisces agenda, right? Saturn and Pisces is more like reminding us of the limitation of the human agency and the human mind uh, in contrast to something much higher, much, much more, much more all-encompassing and the necessity of our surrender to the flow of that something much more. So we've got Jupiter and Gemini square Neptune and Saturn and Pisces from May 25th to the end of the year. And we have an exact square from Jupiter and Gemini to Saturn in August um, and again in December. So yeah, again, those are pieces that I think I'll dig more into um, especially as they're happening through the weekly Astro Church um, and maybe a little bit in part three as well. Okay, and then the last aspects to consider with Jupiter are aspects to Uranus and Chiron and your, Jupiter kind of takes turns being in aspects to Uranus and Chiron. So when Jupiter is in Taurus, it's co-present with Uranus in Taurus, right? But then when Jupiter goes into Gemini, there's no aspect to Uranus in Taurus. So our meaning making goes from blending with somatic breakthrough and liberation to not being in any direct conversation with it. So a question I have for that period when Jupiter goes into Gemini and no longer has contact with Uranus and Taurus is, 
can we and how can we continue to honor that liberatory agenda of Uranus and Taurus while placing more meaning on our intellectual perceptions with Jupiter and Gemini? And then for Chiron and Aries, it flips. Jupiter and Taurus does not aspect Chiron and Aries, but Jupiter and Gemini will sextile Chiron and Aries. So Jupiter in Gemini, this is kind of nice because we haven't had a whole lot of the lower tones and the mid tones thus far aspecting Chiron and Aries. So when Jupiter moves into Gemini on May 25th, it's going to bring our experience of Chiron and Aries back to the forefront in a more conscious way, because now our meaning making function goes from not being in direct contact to that really activating Chiron healing process of self abandonment into the meaning making function be goes into having a chance to collaborate with that Chiron healing process. The open curiosity of Jupiter and Gemini gives room and possibility for the Chiron and Aries wound to breathe a bit. And so that's a by sign sextile from May 25th through the end of the year. But we have two exact sextiles in 2024 on October 12th and again on November 12th. So in like the last quarter of the year, um, we're going to have two exact aspects. So yeah, that'll be interesting. And we'll probably touch on that in part three. Overall, Jupiter cosmic context in 2024. My Jupiter and Taurus and Gemini in aspect insights. Jupiter and Taurus has brought a sort of balm. Jupiter always brings a balm. It's the greater benefic to the longer destabilization chapter of Uranus and Taurus and the even longer destabilization chapter of Pluto and Capricorn because Jupiter, the planet that brings kind of upgrades and context and meaning and understanding and therefore maybe a sense of groundedness and peace and acceptance, faith, Jupiter rules Pisces, right? So all this faith stuff that we're talking about with Pisces is uh, a quality of Jupiter, Pisces ruler. Anyways, Jupiter and Taurus has brought a balm to the destabilization chapters of Uranus and Taurus and Pluto and Capricorn because it has been co-present with Uranus and trining soft aspecting Pluto. With Jupiter joining forces with Uranus and trining Pluto, we've been able to come to a greater awareness and understanding of the role that Taurus plays in the grand scheme of things. So the role that the body, presence, peace, ease, well-being, and resourcedness plays in the grand scheme of things. Jupiter has helped us understand the importance of all of these things and helped us to see the importance of our remaining centered in and trusting our bodies and nature to guide us. With Jupiter and Taurus, we have found a sense of meaning and purpose inside of our inside of liberating our bodies and trusting their radical stubbornness and finding a sense of grounding, finding a center, finding meaning through this transit of Jupiter and Taurus has been a balm and a support to the destabilization of the Capricorn Pluto collapse and the Uranus and Taurus disruption and upheaval. With the ingress of Jupiter into Gemini, we shift our focus for understanding and meaning-making into the mutable air realm, the intellect, curiosity, the multiplicity of perception. In part, this happens in an ongoing alliance with Pluto as overall for the year, even though this doesn't happen like perfectly and ultimately, the overall vibe for the year is that both Jupiter and Pluto are moving from Earth signs into air signs. So in part, this happens in an ongoing alliance with Pluto um, as Pluto shifts into air. Overall, the emphasis of air is significantly increased in 2024, while the emphasis on Earth is significantly diminished throughout the year. We go from having the ultimate undertone 
in Capricorn and like even though Jupiter is a a, a midtone it's like you know has a lot of gravitational weight right it's how we make meaning so it's really coloring a whole lot of our experience um, and so both of these like really weighty planets moving from earth signs to air signs feels very significant we're moving into mind which might feel overwhelming considering the emphasis that we've learned to put on body but it's all cyclical right so we don't lose that emphasis we build on it we move into mind with context and awareness that we did not have before this shift also moves jupiter into a relationship of tension with saturn and neptune and pisces where it had previously been supportive the radical surrender and dis and reillusionment of these Neptune and Saturn placements in Pisces is challenged by a thirst for knowledge, information, learning, and understanding from an intellectual perspective, Jupiter and Gemini. But squares are productive tension, and the productiveness may have something to do with the general openness and non-attachment that we get with both Jupiter and Gemini and the Pisces lenses. A sweet spot, I think, for the shift of Jupiter into Gemini is Jupiter's sextile to Chiron and Aries. For most of 2023, the wound of separation and codependency clearing process of Chiron and Aries had not been a big part of our meaning-making orientation. It's been there, and it's been hurting us, triggering us, activating us, um, kind of like poking us, but poking an open wound, but we may not have had deep access to understanding it. For the latter half of 2024, May 25th and onwards, the understanding gained through the meaning-making function of Jupiter and Gemini can be in direct collaboration with the ongoing tenderness of our Chiron and Aries healing. So I think we might just come to deeper understanding of um, and deeper acceptance of what we're moving through relevant to our, our Chiron and Aries transit in 2024, in the latter half specifically. Personal considerations for Jupiter and Gemini. The big idea, in 2024, you finish out your year of gaining understanding. Um, in, in May of 2024, specifically, you finish out a year of gaining understanding and meaning and perhaps bounty and upgrades and abundance even in your Taurus house, specifically through the body, through physicality, through resourcedness. And you begin a new chapter of all of the above within the context of your Gemini house. So, just simply looking at the houses can be really useful. Where were you experiencing abundance and promotion and bounty and upgrades and more understanding, more context, more meaning in your Taurus house? That continues for the first bit of 2024, but then that energy, that abundance, that emphasis shifts into your Gemini house. And it also shifts from being experienced through physicality, through the body, into being experienced through intellect and perception. These statements about the shifts that you're experiencing in your Gemini and Taurus houses at different times in 2024 might feel even more true for people with day charts or specifically the concept of like you're going to experience something good, something positive, an upgrade to your, your Taurus and then Gemini houses. Jupiter is the benefic of sect for day charts. So for people who have who had the sun in the sky when they were born when you if you were born during daylight you have a day chart 
Um, and the, the beneficial aspects of it might feel not as true for those of us with night charts because our benefic of sect is Venus. And so we might not experience the fruits of Jupiter to the same extent that day chart people do. That being said, the meaning making and understanding and emphasis around our sense of purpose, um, that will be true regardless of whether you have a day chart or a night chart. People with mutable Jupiter placements are when Jupiter moves into Gemini, will be experiencing a significant phase within your 11-ish year Jupiter cycle. So if, you have, so if you have Jupiter in Gemini, this is your Jupiter return. If you have Jupiter in Pisces, this is your opening Jupiter square. If you have Jupiter in Sag, this is your Jupiter opposition. If you have Jupiter in Virgo, this is your closing Jupiter square. And like this is one of those things that like I mentioned in part one, based on your astro literacy and the level through which you read astrology and follow the different layers of your own cycles, this might go way over your head and might not be for you. Um, this is like not intentional plug here, but like this is the kind of thing that I spend a lot of time really breaking down and helping you understand for yourself in my astrology course so if you want to understand these things more and like learn to be able to watch them and translate them in real time the different details of these transits for you and how they all fit into like this huge tapestry of rhythms and textures flowing and cycles unfolding uh the sunday school component of astro church and sunday school may be for you in 2024 <laughs> Uh, any placements that anyone has from about five and a half degrees Taurus to about 21 and a half degrees Gemini. So that's a huge, uh, huge territory, right? We can see that Jupiter makes a, covers a lot more ground than any planet we've discussed so far because we're getting faster and faster with each planet as we move from the undertones to the uppertones through the midtones. But anyways, any placements you have in that range of five and a half Taurus to 21, 20 Gemini of, uh, of, any placements you have in that range will receive um, conjunctions from Jupiter. And if you have placements from five and a half of the fixed signs to 21 and a half-ish of the mutable signs, then you'll receive hard aspects from transiting Jupiter. Um, special note of any placements right around 21 degrees Gemini, because that's where the station takes place on October 9th. Jupiter stations retrograde next on October 9th, 2024, which means Jupiter will be really slowing down and putting a lot of emphasis on meaning making at that point. So placements around 21 Gemini or 21 of the other mutable signs will be getting kind of a longer, more emphasized hard transit or conjunction from Jupiter and Gemini. And as I've said, for every planet, placements and houses that are getting aspects from Jupiter and Taurus or Jupiter and Gemini will be particularly engaged with the Jupiterian functions and these themes of these two Jupiter transits, especially in the weeks and months around the exact aspects. Okay, we're on our final midtone here, the lunar nodes. Now I went in a uh, from, from everything else so far, I've gone in order from like the length of a transit. Uh, so we started with the slowest and moved towards the fastest through the undertones. With the nodes, uh, they move slow, faster than Saturn, slower than Jupiter. But the nodes are also kind of a class of their own. They're, they're an extremely significant component of the planetary orchestra, but they're very different from anything we've talked about so far because they're not a planet. They're not 
they're not a planet and therefore they're not a function. They're not a core function of our experience. They're points. They're points in the sky um, having to do with where the sun and the moon the sun's path and the moon's path intersect from the vantage point of earth i love talking about like what the nodes are and how that informs how we translate and experience them but that's a whole like two or three hour workshop that does exist it's called karmic recalibration and you can find it on my website if you want to take it or join uh, astro church and sunday school because it'll be a unit within the course but um, just for the sake of brevity, we'll say we're talking about something very different when we talk about the influence of the node. It's like hitting our reality and our perception on a completely different level than the planets. Um, and I'm not sure that I can succinctly say in this moment exactly what that distinction is, but hopefully as I move through this orientation to the nodes and the nodes in Aries and Libra in 2024, you can kind of get a feel for that. So the general significance of the lunar nodes, um, which I'm talking about the lunar nodes as a unit, they are made up of the north node and the south node. They travel together in total opposition to one another. The general significance is the karmic current of our soul's journey of calibration. I really like how Judith Hill refers to the nodes as where the tides are coming in and out. So it's the karmic tides, it's so the planets maybe let's try let me try to make a distinction that i said moments ago i can't the planets are like what's happening right they're like the primary instruments in the symphony in the orchestra that's playing this symphony of, of cosmos unfolding in our consciousness the nodes are how our souls are calibrating to that how our souls are rocking back and forth within this matrix of duality building and clearing karma as we go Ooh, i like that glad i got that on a recording so the tides coming in and out on the karmic level the karmic current of our soul's journey of calibration and recalibration the south node indicates where the tides are going out while the north node indicates where the tides are coming in so the south node shows us what has become too familiar and too much, um, where we have a, a buildup of excess, and what is seeking to be detached from, what is seeking on a karmic level to go through a period of detox and purging. While the north node indicates what has become unfamiliar and will begin to be massively amplified. A metaphor I use a lot for the nodes is like a juice cleanse. Um, in addition to Judith Hill's metaphor of the tides, she also calls the south node the anus of the zodiac. Um, and I've also seen her reference it as the toilet of the zodiac. So where the south node is, that's the butthole through which we are um, purging in excess. So in the case of the South Node in Libra right now, Libra in and of itself is not toxic, but we're at a point when, with the South Node transiting there that on a karmic level, on a soul level, as a collective, there's a build up, there's too much Libra in our system. And so it needs to be released. We need to do a juice cleanse to poop out toxic excess Libra. And the north node is what's coming in and things get really amplified and so the north node in the metaphor that i like to use with this juice cleanse of the nose is the juice that we drink to release the excess so with north node in aries 
It's like we have to, we're going to have to get more comfortable with Aries. Aries stuff is going to come online a lot. We're going to have to drink a lot of Aries juice to clean out the Libra excess. But when you think about a juice cleanse, like it's not healthy to only ever drink juice, right? Like the excess of the juice serves a purpose in the detoxing. But ultimately, we don't want to get stuck in a pattern of just drinking juice. So to me, that's it's the same thing with the notes. Like it's really easy to go south node bad, north node good. And I think like there's an element of that that can serve as an entry point to understanding the nodes. We're releasing where the south node is as where the north node is shows what's coming online louder and louder and amplifying. But the thing about the nodes that I always like to emphasize is that they're always opposite. So they're really showing us polarity. That's really what we're dealing with with the nodes and eclipses. We're dealing with polarity. So the full axis as a whole shows us a sensitive place where we get locked into duality and are invited to detangle ourselves from a highly polarized orientation. So while there is an element with South Node and Libra, North Node and Aries of we have to poop out Libra excess and we're going to welcome in Aries excess in order to facilitate the detox of Libra, beyond that, there's an orient, there's an a potential awareness that excess on either end is 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 toxic and ultimately what i conceive to be the purpose of the nodes if we can slap a purpose on it is to help us recalibrate and reintegrate across that polarity also to help us see that because we exist in this matrix of polarity we don't get to escape polarity so we're gonna see the way that our minds juxtapose Aries priority of self-responsibility against the Libra priority of relational and social harmony and responsibility, we're going to get to see the uh, the way that our minds get really locked into posing those two things against one another, which can potentially, like seeing that, the awareness of that can potentially liberate us from being caught and tangled within that potential flavor of duality and to me that's ultimately really what a nodal transit is about um it invites us to detangle ourselves from that highly polarized orientation the nodes spend about a year and a half i think a little over a year and a half in one sign and are also the grounds in which eclipses will take place for that period so anytime we're talking about the significance of eclipses the upheaval of eclipses the kind of resetting of our karmic direction that happens with eclipses those are just the heightened moments within a nodal transit and so um, the north node in aries and south node in libra has existed since let's that transit began in july of 2023 uh, and they stay in that pair of signs in that polarity until january of 2025 so for all of 2024, we've got this karmic current in the Aries-Libra axis and all but one eclipse happening in this axis as well. So I mentioned South Node in Libra means Libra detox. North Node in Aries means Aries juice cleanse. Um, what does that mean? So the South Node in Libra, shadow Libra comes up so it can come out. It's like we got to puke out or poop out shadow libra and so in order for it to make its way out of our systems in order for it to be cleared we're we have to experience it like all up in our throats and all up in our butt and the discomfort of that so what is shadow libra uh people pleasing fawning fitting in prioritizing a facade of harmony over authenticity 
prioritizing social and relational responsibility over personal responsibility, avoiding conflict, fixation and obsession with the mind's idea of balance. North Node and Aries. So the Aries prerogative gets amplified in order to help us recalibrate across this polarity. What is the Aries prerogative that's getting amplified? Honoring personal needs and personal responsibility, taking impulsive and or spontaneous aligned action, a willingness to honor separation, severance, rupture, a tolerance for conflict. I often like to think when I think about the Aries-Libra axis about how Libra really wants justice and order, but that excess Libra, that ego-mind, shadowy-led Libra fixates on an idea, obsesses over an idea of order that is actually a flawed and limited one because actual natural order, actual balance, actual harmony requires the inclusion of rupture and conflict and separation. So there's a, a harmonized reality that exists to distilled Libran standards that allows for the rupture and the conflict and the separation and the personal orientation and personal responsibility and personal prioritization of Aries. Now I'm taking like really big ideas and just kind of like um, pairing them down to the themes that I've connected most with. Aries and Libra is more than just like putting yourself first and putting relationship first. Um, you know, I talked a lot about Aries with Chiron and Aries so that like the reverence of our separation, the reverence of honoring our unique individual experiences, like these are all Aries themes. The Aries Libra nodes timeline, um, as I mentioned, the nodes are in this axis from July of 2023 until January of 2025. Their range in 2024 is from 21 degrees and two minutes to zero degrees and 49 minutes. The nodes move backwards always. And eclipse seasons are the parts of the year in which the ongoing nodal recalibration tends to be most active through the circumstances of our lives. We have two eclipse seasons in 2024. In, on March 23rd, we have a lunar eclipse in Libra. And then two weeks later on April 8th, we have a solar eclipse in Aries. So our first eclipse season happens in that second quarter of the year in early spring. So that's going to be like a, a real jolt to this ongoing recalibration takes place in the spring, right, right around the, the spring equinox. And then our second eclipse happens, second eclipse season happens right around the fall equinox, uh, just a little bit before the sun moves in. To Libra at the equinox, we have a lunar eclipse on September 17th at 25 degrees Pisces. So that's our one eclipse that while it happens near the Aries Libra nodes, that's what makes an eclipse is a full moon or new moon near the nodes. Well, it happens near the nodes and so it will bring an element of the Aries Libra recalibration into it. The eclipse itself actually takes place in Pisces. So it's actually giving us like a little bit of a preview of the next nodal and eclipse axis to come. Uh, but then two weeks later on October 2nd, we have a solar eclipse at 10 degrees Libra. So I'm, I'm staying with like the big picture. What are the Aries Libra uh, stories and themes for the nodes in this axis? Uh, but just noting that those eclipse seasons, so right around the spring equinox and right around the fall equinox, that's where we're going to experience some real eclipse upheaval. 
um, and eclipses. Eclipses, like, they bring upheaval, they thwart us out of the trajectory that our mind perceives that we're on and supposed to be on in order to present something that fits within the karmic recalibration beyond what we can control um, and, and typically does does involve quite a bit of like trajectory shifting and depending on your own placements the intensity with which that trajectory shifts affects your life changes and I'll talk about that in a moment um, perhaps in part three I'll talk more specifically about the eclipses but honestly I probably won't talk that much about them until they're happening so astro church for ongoing eclipse context all right so the the aries libra knows an aspect to these mid and lower tones so we know about chiron and aries that was a huge part of my part one transmission chiron is co-present with the north node all year with an exact conjunction this is a big deal on february 19th this is the first conjunction of the north node to chiron since 2008 which happened in Aquarius, and the last conjunction of the North Node to Chiron uh, until 2038, and that one will take place in Cancer. So this, to me, feels like a pretty significant moment of 2024. Well, first of all, just the North Node being co-present with Chiron and Aries is a very, to me, a very significant texture of 2024. But the moment where they actually come together in conjunction on February 19th, early in the year, feels very significant to me. North node conjunct Chiron and Aries, our wounds, triggers, and potential for healing are massively amplified. We've had this Chiron and Aries transit for many years at this point, but the North node bringing an amplified orientation to Aries is really putting that Chiron wound on display. How about the nodes in Pluto? Um, in contact by aspects all year. So when Pluto is in Capricorn, it squares the Aries Libra nodes. And then when Pluto is in Aquarius, it sextiles and trines the Aries nodes, sextiles uh, Aries and trines Libra. So in 2024, we toggle, depending on where Pluto is, between a karmic recalibration, the nodes, that directly intensely challenges the concluding uh, collapse, Pluto in Capricorn and one that directly serves the next one. So as Pluto and Capricorn collapses the systems, and I'm, I'm like using such few words right now just because I've already dug way into it. So everything that Pluto and Capricorn represents to you, uh, perhaps things I've mentioned and perhaps things you've come to on your own or heard other astrologers say, with the nodes in Aries Libra, there's that square relationship. There's that productive tension. And we're dealing with all cardinal signs here. Aries Libra, Capricorn, all cardinal signs. So we're dealing with our sense of responsibility and obligation towards an initiative within these different realms. So as we lose our ability as the the systems and structures of responsibility on the societal earthly realm, Capricorn become untenable that brings productive tension into and vice versa this like personal relational harmony um, uh, valuing order and balance and justice versus and I say versus lightly because that's just how the mind perceives it valuing individual autonomy um, individuation authenticity differentiation 
And so you can kind of see like the codependent patterns that we've gained that are currently being brought up so that they can be purged. Those are deeply ingrained in these societal structures that are also collapsing. So it's not a separate story, right? And that's the node square Pluto and Capricorn. Uh, uh, the rot of capitalism, the the exploitation within colonialism, all these like exposed themes that have been Pluto and Capricorn, the wealth inequity, all of that, all of that is connected to the current karmic recalibration of the soul around honoring the self and honoring our personal responsibility and our personal agency uh, with Aries and the way that our obsession with some kind of order and harmony has uh, supported us in losing sight of becoming uncomfortable with taking care of ourselves and prioritizing ourselves. So essentially like the codependency that we're looking at with Chiron and Aries and with the South Node in Libra is also has also been an ingredient in these structures, the structure of capitalism and colonialism and the way that, you know, many of us have just like the, the, the extent to which everyone has in some way or another like self-sacrificed and lost sight of our personal uniqueness and orientation and priority to try to live within this system. So I don't think I'm saying this very clearly right now, but I've been recording for two hours, so I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Codependency on both Libran and Capricornian levels. Um, but we also toggle between, um, that's a square, productive tension. But when Pluto goes into, into Aquarius, the relationship between the nodes and Pluto becomes a soft aspect, uh, a square and a sextile. And so Pluto and Aquarius, that the new backdrop through 2024, throughout 2024, like, it's again it's the it's the decimation the demolition of what we know the exposure of what is rotten and maybe wrong in what we think we know those intellectual guardrails that we grasp and so this new collapse the apocalypse of the mind that is pluto in aquarius is supporting and being supported by the aries libra recalibration so yeah, I think I'm not going to push myself to further translate that. Um, we'll tackle it when it comes up. The nodes and Jupiter. Jupiter in Gemini sextiles and trines the Aries Libra nodes. Until Jupiter moves into Gemini, we don't have an aspect between Jupiter and the nodes. So once Jupiter moves into Gemini for a little more than the second half of the year, our meaning-making orientation serves and is served by the karmic recalibration of the nodes. And we can just really think about this as like, we've already talked a bunch about Jupiter and Gemini and established the openness, the airiness, the spaciousness, the possibilities of that. Well, air on air and air on fire, like air makes fire go, right? So you can kind of see Gemini, Jupiter and Gemini fanning the flames of uh, North Node and Aries. And while Gemini and Libra obviously have a lot in common, they are cardinal air and mutable air. The Jupiter and Gemini, it's actually going to fan the flame of Aries. And when I, when I consider the sextile between Gemini and Aries, I think a lot about like differentiation and autonomy. 
because why why <laughs> I, I often think of like as an Aries myself I often think of like how many besties I have in Gemini and Aquarius placements and it's like there's a there's a, a shared prioritization of freedom from different angles for different reasons, but there's a shared prioritization of freedom between those those three signs and specifically Gemini and Aries. So the ability of Jupiter and Gemini to like not hold any one truth too tightly is going to reorient us to our sense of justice, right? It's going to help us to kind of dislodge an overemphasis and obsession with some version of perceived justice. And that's part of the work of the South Node in Libra. Meanwhile, Jupiter and Gemini and Aries North Node together are going to kind of get off on freedom and autonomy and individuation, which is going to support the ongoing and amplify the ongoing clearing of codependency that's happening with Chiron in Aries. All right, I got there. The big idea in 2024 for the lunar nodes, you continue a recalibration process across your Aries Libra house axis that will challenge you to accept the truth of your separateness and call into question any conditioning behaviors and outlooks that self-sacrifice in the name of social relational justice and harmony. And I have in the name of in quotes here, right? Because the idea is that we think that if we just discount ourselves, if we just put our own needs and our own unique truth and separateness to the side, in the name of, in quotes, social relational justice and harmony, that that makes us a good person. <laughs> um, we think that it's our responsibility, right? But the, again, tying in the Pluto and Capricorn themes to all of this, like, for how long are we going to continue to put off our individual needs and our individual uniquenesses to try to belong in some kind of system, whether societally or relationally, Capricorn or Libra, that devalues the individuals and the autonomy of the individuals within it? Like that's not real order. That's not real progress. That's contrived order. That's contrived harmony. And so this kind of like fake idea of self-sacrifice in the name of social and relational justice and harmony is something that's going to be continued to be challenged in 2024. Um, and we can each look at our Aries Libra houses to see specifically where that shows up for us. So your Libra house is a place where you've put a lot of emphasis in general. Um, yes, through the Libra lens of like having order, having harmony, um, having balance within your relationships but at what cost perhaps at the cost of your true authenticity and needs and desires within your Aries house this particular nodal and eclipse axis is especially significant for people with cardinal nodal axes and cardinal rising signs so I'll say more about that in a moment but just to clarify earlier I was talking about how the nodes and eclipses bring a lot of like reorientation and often trajectory shifts. The extent to which those trajectory shifts actually really influence the trajectory of our lives in significant ways depends a lot on the makeup of our own chart. So there's lots of different ways the nodes and the eclipses can hit our charts in like infinitely differentiated ways. But the two big ones I tend to start with are if it's a nodal square or return for you, 
um, and and then what houses it shows up on. So the that, the former people with cardinal nodal axes natally. So if your natal nodes are in Aries, Libra, or Cancer, Capricorn, then the events and lessons and detoxes and shifts of the Aries, Libra nodes, and especially the moments of the eclipses within these nodal transits are really connected to your larger karmic storyline and most likely to affect you spiritually for the long term. Um, and in a similar but different way, if you have a cardinal rising sign, um, so that's Aries, Cancer, Libra, or Capricorn once again, then these events, lessons, detoxes, and shifts of the Aries, Libra, nodes, and eclipses are happening in angular houses for you. They're happening either in the first, fourth, seventh, or tenth house, um, which are primary areas of your life. And so you're more likely to have these trajectory shifts of these nodes in these eclipses in particular change the circumstances of your life. And if you happen to be someone with the same rising sign modality as nodes, like me, uh, then it's a double whammy for you. And for me, it's not cardinal, it's mutable. But I can tell you that last time the nodes were in a mutable sign, it was my nodal square and it was nodes in my first and seventh house and that shit was intense. So um, yeah, Aries Libra nodes, big lessons, big trajectory shifts, big recalibrations for all of us specific to these Aries Libra themes and the Chiron in Aries wound of self-abandonment and the way that it really thwarts and brings upheaval into our lives is is very differentiated. Um, for everyone, natal placements that are near the eclipses will be particularly affected. And as a reminder, uh, those eclipses happen on March 25th at 5 Libra, April 8th at 19 Aries, September 17th at 25 Pisces, and October 2nd at 10 Libra. And yeah, this is the kind of astrology that I just personally really like to stay tuned into like the big themes in the backdrop, which are these this Aries Libra juice cleanse um, and how it interacts with the undertones, which we've talked about. But as they come up, they will certainly be like massive highlights of what I'm looking at throughout the year. All right, time to sum up the vibe of 2024 now with both the context of the lower tones and the midtones. So I'll just flick through a couple memes here, describe, share some quotes. Um, I really like this quote from someone named Adya Shanti. I think this is someone's teacher that I saw on Instagram. Enlightenment is a destructive process. It has nothing to do with becoming better or being happier. Enlightenment is the crumbling away of untruth. It's seeing through the facade of pretense. It's the complete eradication of everything we imagined to be true. The mid and lower tone energies that I've felt were very present in this sentiment are Pluto in, in Aquarius, right? The complete eradication of everything we imagined to be true. The enlightenment is the crumbling away of untruth, seeing through the facade of pretense. You can hear some Neptune and Saturn and Pisces in here as well. Some Uranus and Taurus. Some Jupiter and Taurus and Gemini. Here's another one that I felt pretty much all those lower and mid tones in as well. This is uh, from the Words Our Vibrations meme account. 
when I start thinking about the nature of reality and realize that every philosophical or religious paradigm is just a subjective human opinion, and in truth, the origin and purpose of consciousness is not only unknown, but unknowable, and the only proper response to existence is radical humility and surrender to the mystery. So, you know, you may have noticed <laughs> I'm... I'm not predicting like a lot of world events, right? I mean, I've talked about AI and aliens and the collapse of society and economic crisis. So maybe I am talking about this stuff more than I realize or identify with. But, you know, I'm not telling you like what to do and what to prepare for on a physical level. I'm painting a picture as best I can of how I see the current energies continuing to evolve into their next phases uh I think that like the crumbling of untruths as referenced in the last quote the uh, continuation of economic crisis that I talked about a bit more in part one the revolution through the body the like radical surrender all of this is is absolutely going to manifest in like significant and intense and probably potentially scary ways in our physical circumstances. Uh, but I think a lot of the astrology of 2024 and of these times in, in a greater context, like of this whole decade, is about divesting from reality as we know it. And so, and tapping into a perception of reality far beyond what what we're conditioned to and what we've been capable of thus far perceiving and so to me I'm like yeah shit probably is gonna get pretty wild in 2024 and after 2024 like we are at a climax of really intense shit on the physical and societal levels but our as that shit collapses around us, as like really intense things happen, war, etc., genocide, etc., like and at least as far as in the states go, you know, we're witnessing a lot of war and genocide outside of the country. I don't think it's out of the question that there's a timeline in which we experience those things in this country on our home turf. That being said, personally, like some will read this as spiritual bypass. I consider this to be more spiritual encompassing. That's not necessarily the point to me because as things break down, as crises continue to get bigger and unfold, so does our relationship to them. And to me, that's where agency exists is in our orientation, in our awareness. And just as much as some of the astrology of 2024 and beyond seems to point to the potential for like real destruction and collapse and upheaval, it also points towards the awakening of awareness amidst all of the above. The only proper response to existence is radical humility and surrender to the mystery. So I'll, I'll leave you on that note. Um, the third and final part of this 2024 Cosmic Context series will cover the upper tones, Sun, Moon, Mars, Venus, and Mercury, although it'll cover them in a very different way. It would take way longer than I have even a fraction of the attention span for to actually walk you through the movement of all of those faster moving planets. 
So, you know, I'll just kind of orient to how we think about those planets on a horoscopic level, which is really quite different from how we think about um, the the midtones and the lower tones on a, a forecasting level. Um, so I'll, t- I'll share a little bit about that. I'll maybe talk a little bit about Mars's motion because of those planets, Mars is the only one that doesn't go all the way through the zodiac. So maybe significant to talk about what signs Mars hits in 2024. And then I'll take the movements of those planets with everything I've laid down in the foundation of part one and part two to give like a little glimpse at when I do look ahead with a zoomed out level at the different parts, the seasons, the quarters of 2024, what I see. So yeah, I'll share that. That'll probably be the the episode of the three that feels most kind of like a forecast. It'll probably be my least favorite one to do, to be honest, but I'm going to try it um, as a way to kind of close out and play with these themes in a more linear, digestible fashion or linearly digested fashion. So yeah, we'll take all the big and medium themes and look at how they might rhythmically present in different parts of the year. And I hope to have that episode, part three of the 2024 Cosmic Context, available to you within the the first week or so of the new calendar year. And then yeah, the quarterly seasonal orientation that I share inside of part three will be much further explored as we live it in real time. Um, And I will be digging into that through my new weekly offering that starts on January 14th, 2024, Astro Church, Astro Church um, and Sunday School. (laughs) So Astro Church is the weekly astrology sermons that I'm going to offer. I'm expecting them to be about 45 minutes. There will be some variance and depending on how many people join and therefore how much that resources me, I might have guests come deliver like guest sermons or co-sermons with me. So just talking about the astrology of each week. Live broadcasts are going to happen on Zoom uh, at 9.30 a.m. Pacific time. So it's Sunday mornings Pacific time. I tried to pick a time that works in other parts of the world where I know people tune in from, tune into me specifically from as well. Um, But of course, it's impossible to find a perfect time. Even if you can't make the live Zoom broadcasts, recordings will be shared shortly after. So on on Sundays at some point. Um, And that's Astro Church, and that's a, a much lower price because it's just these weekly quick sermons. And you can read more about my intentions for that and what they look like at kelseyrosetort.com slash astrochurch. Um, you can pay in full for the six months of weekly live broadcasts and astro sermons, or you can pay monthly. And then Sunday school takes place right after, so at 10.30 a.m. Pacific time, and it serves as group study sessions where we will further discuss the transits that we talked about that week in the sermon, but also and especially the content covered that week in the astro curriculum. So astro church goers are just showing up for these weekly sermons or listening to recordings as they please, but Sunday school students are, along with that, taking part in my extremely in-depth, cohesive, comprehensive astrology course. It's a six-month curriculum. Uh, And so we'll use those Sunday school sessions to kind of fuse together our application of the content that was covered that week in class. And you'll look at the content on your own. It's, It's already recorded videos and slides and exercises and homework and stuff. And then we'll come together during Sunday school to talk about Uh, everything that you learned that week and how it's applied to your own natal chart and transits and the stuff that we discussed at church that morning. Um, Those Sunday school sessions are also recorded and shared with the students only. So just to kind of further 
clarify which, uh, if either offering is for you, which one. I would say Astro Church is for those who would love a weekly dose of cosmic context to help frame your week and maintain your conscious connection to spirit. It's perfect for you if you're already quasi-literate in astrology or if you're just not really interested in developing astro literacy and instead just enjoy tuning into the context as I translate it. Astro Church and Sunday School is for those who would cherish those Sunday sermons but also desire to become a part of the next cohort of astrology students to study with me, accessing your own intuitive approach to astrological literacy and cosmic awareness. And as I mentioned, there's a lot more info at kelseyrosetort.com slash astrochurch. You can see the entire curriculum, like unit by unit, what's studied in that six-month astrology course for Sunday school. And you can see pricing and payment plan options for both Astro Church and Astro Church plus Sunday School. I also have links to like check your own time zone so you can see when the live sessions happen. Um, and just a side note, my full astrology curriculum is also available as a self-paced course. So if Astro Church and Sunday School isn't your thing, but you are interested in gaining access to all of my astrology library and like learning astrology for yourself through the way I talk about it and teach it, the literal entire six-month course that I'm referencing for Sunday School is available for purchase um, at a lower price at just self-paced. So it doesn't get you access to me or a group place to study it um, within any structure, but you can access all of the materials. And I mean, it's good, you know? You don't know. I know. Some of you know. Some of you took it. Um, I have a teaching background. I've done a lot of curriculum building professionally. I'm a good teacher. I know how to put together a course. So yeah, check that out if you want to learn, but you don't want to do it in any structured way or with a group. And if you're listening to this like later into the year, you probably already stopped <laughs> listening to my little promotion at the end here, but uh, I, I probably won't have people join um, Sunday school late, you can ask, maybe I will, but I'm totally cool with people joining Astro Church late. So if you're listening to this forecast past the 114 start date, um, the monthly payment option makes your start time flexible. So you can join in February, you can join in March, you can join in April. We'll be doing weekly Sunday Astro sermons through the end of June. Who knows, maybe I'll continue something after, but it's scary to me to think about a whole year. So we're doing six months. All right, y'all. Thanks again for tuning in to part two of the Cosmic Context. I'll see you on the other side.